This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 23 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast that brings you interviews with some of the most talented folks from the Southern California hospitality industry and beyond each and every episode. I'm your host, Croft McCarthy, founder of The Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to Allie Coyle for providing music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. As a quick reminder, if you enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave a rating, review, anything to help other folks discover it as well, uh, wherever you're listening to it. And if you enjoy content like this, head over to thebestseats.com for more of it. Enough housekeeping, though. Let's jump right into it. I am so excited for this episode. Uh, a bona fide, proven, extremely talented, food network, experienced, amazing individual, Chef Debbie Lee. I am so grateful to have her on the show. If you've been listening to the past couple episodes, you have probably, um, in the middle of any of the interviews, heard an advertisement pop up, and that is for a discount for Soul Town Supper. That is Chef Debbie Lee's latest venture. She has been doing a meal delivery system for a little bit, which we're going to dive into more on the show. Uh, she recently launched the kind of Korean healthy pub fair delivery one also, uh, just a little bit into the pandemic, probably about halfway through, give or take. And it's really, really good. Um, hence the reason that there's a discount code available for anybody who's listening to the show. You will hear it in this one. It's not going to be in the middle of the interview just because it feels a little weird interjecting that while I'm interviewing the person who founded the company. So instead, it's going to be just at the tail end, uh, kind of before the outro for the show. So make sure you listen all the way through to make sure that you can get your hands on that to enjoy some of the food. But I don't want to waste any more time. I cannot do enough justice to her career and resume. Uh, you need to hear this for yourself because this is a wildly talented individual and somebody that I'm so humbled took the time to come on this pokey little podcast and share some insight with you. We're going to talk about all things kimchi, Korean food, what it's like to run a business in these times, kind of becoming the neighborhood go-to. Um, Again, school's being out. There's so many different topics that we're going to cover. I can't wait for you to hear it. I don't want to waste any more time. Let's jump into episode 23 of the Best Seeds podcast featuring Chef Debbie Lee. Chef, how are you? Hey, good, Crawford. How are you? I'm doing very good. Thanks so much for taking the time today. No problem at all. Glad we're doing this. I so am I. I'm extremely, extremely excited to talk. I'm extremely excited to chat about all the different things that you have going on um, and then obviously kind of how they have all been happening lately. But can we jump right into it for the people that may not be familiar with you or your work? Would you mind just quickly introducing yourself and giving a little background? Sure. Uh, my name is Debbie Lee and I am uh, the executive chef and one of the co-founders of a sustainable meal delivery service here in Orange County called Mind Body Pork. We serve all the way up to LA and all the way back down to North San Diego County. And um, some people may have seen me back, back, back in the day <laughs> on uh, the Food Network. Uh, yeah, I can't believe it's been a decade. Uh, but yeah, I was one of those uh, crazy contestants running around on the next Food Network star. 
Um, I've had a lot of, uh, you know, I've been blessed with a lot of great uh, culinary success and, um, you know, had restaurants, a food truck, you name it, up in L.A. I came to one point when I had to make a decision to extend my lease or not at my current place and unfortunately got hit with a little bit of a health issue, um, was, I guess, what they would consider excessively overweight. And I needed to sort of work on that. So that's sort of how Mind Body Fork became. It was a selfish uh, endeavor for me to still cook and do what I'd love to do. Um, So that's been going on since 2015. We're in our sixth year. It's hard to believe. Um, And it was really to be playful with food. And for people like me who really like to go out and eat at the best restaurants in town, it was to give you sort of that blind chef basket meets a farmer's market and Whole Foods had a baby kind of scenario <laughs> and uh, that element of food surprise, right? So it's not for everybody, but uh, I've had a lot of uh, and continue to have a lot of loyal uh, patrons from that because, you know, they too want to go out to every single restaurant like yours truly. But for health reasons, we, uh, you know, try to keep them a little bit more contained in that sense while still having fun with food. So before we jump into what you've been kind of pivoting with, um, as far yeah. as because you're not running a standard kind of brick and mortar restaurant, but you're obviously still in that kind of hospitality realm. What has this been like for you since kind of March 16th when kind of COVID-19 shut everything down? So it was really, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I was thinking, okay, this is going to be, you know, and I think as chefs or restaurateurs, we always think, okay, there's signs, right? So when they started the breakdown and the lockdown in March, I was like, okay, it's either going to be busy or it's either going to be really slow. And if it's really slow, maybe that's a sign for me to sort of turn in my, you know, knives and give myself a break. And of course they didn't do that. It did completely the opposite (laughs) as a lot of my clients over the years, you know, because I have a lot of clients that will come and go and they travel a lot for work Mm -hmm. and such. And then, of course, everybody was grounded back home. So within like, you know, 48 hours, I, there were just so many emails. It, it was like, can I get back on the meal? <laughs> can I get some food help, please? <laughs> um, so that was really great, you know. Uh, and, and because we do everything from family meals to individual uh, meal plans for those that are trying to meet some health or weight loss goals, it, it ended up working out for us. Um, we only produce three days out of the kitchen. So my night crew that works with me typically has a full-time day job. Uh, so that sort of is where the inspiration of me bringing back the Korean started <laughs> in a healthy way, of course. Um, it's, you know, I'm, I don't tell people that it's 100% fat-free, sugar-free, anything like that. But you can feel a lot better about eating, you know, what I would consider, you know, all-natural, preservative-free, sustainable Korean cooking, which, um, you know, that's always a challenge, I think, in the Asian food market. Um, for us because we are used to using certain things and then having to retool and think it through is always a little bit of a new cool experience as a chef. So I want to come back to obviously the the original kind of concept uh, with the healthy meal deliveries, but I do want to talk about the kind of new pivot that you branched out. So you mentioned being able to kind of take care of your crew and take care of people during this time is I think what was at the forefront of pretty much anybody's mind regardless of the industry. You then yeah. launched what you were originally known for, which is, like you said, that kind of Korean pub fair, things like that. What's that been like? And can, can you elaborate a little bit more on kind of where that concept came from? Yeah. So, um, you know, years ago, I was known, I started off, um, you know, first and foremost, when I was on Food Network, I was known 
for what I called myself soul to soul, Korean soul to American soul. Cause mm-hmm. my background is, you know, my mom learned how to cook good old down home, you know, good to your ribs, Southern American food. And then I learned Korean food from my grandmother. So I, of course, will, as any chef from your own family experiences, be more of a fusion style chef. Uh, that being the case, uh, I stopped doing that when I entered my health issue and I, launched mind body fork so i think there was a mental part of me of like i don't want to attach myself to that because i shouldn't be twice trying to get get chicken or anything of that sort um you know when this happened all and uh, although i was giving the guys three days of work mind you they all lost the five days of work yeah so and what people i think sometimes forget and I, i try to drive this home to people you know whether you're supporting us or you're supporting the restaurant down the street you know, most of these guys cannot live off of one job. They are, because the industry itself and the cost of living, especially here in Southern California, a lot of them have multiple jobs to basically provide for them and their families. So what happened was a couple of clients who happen to be Asian American had asked me, hey, can you maybe do some, you know, Asian food? I don't care even if it's the Korean food you were known for, just something that hits home to them. So it started with some dumplings. Initially, I was trying to do it, you know, on my own. So that way, you know, I could add the, you know, revenue back to helping the guys. But then what happened was it sort of became each of them started ordering more. And then a couple other people found out we were doing this. And from that point on, I said, well, if I can sustain it, why don't I just bring it back and let it be a weekly drop as sort of a weekend, you know, uh, a fun a fun weekend thing to enjoy with your family. Mm-hmm. So I had asked the guys, do you guys want more work? And they instantly said, yes. I mean, believe it or not, only one guy right now just got his unemployment payment that he filed for with his, you know, so, you know, to give you an idea, this is what a lot of these guys are going for, even though they, there are, there is the group, I think, of people in the industry that have gotten their unemployment from, that are in the restaurant business that have got shut down. But then there's those that are, you know, like my crew and one out of four of them, have only gotten their unemployment now. I mean, and that, that was what I worry about is the mental well-being of them because if they're not working they're, you know, you don't want them to also suffer from that. So, uh, plus they love learning how to make new uh, food and they've always inquired about my Korean cuisine, which I was known for. So I thought, let's go for it and see what happens. Um, we're probably, I think on our ninth week of doing this and yeah, the order just, keep coming in people just love it and most important like i said it serves a purpose because you know we really had initially just done it to think okay we'll do a pop-up and help our team out and it sort of turned into one of those things that i think you know the koreans here to stay (laughs) well i mean i was going to say having had it personally and being fortunate enough to have one of the meal kits dropped off and experienced it it's such good food and I kind of think that oh, for some you. people that are more kind of average diners, casual diners, I think that as far as kind of Asian American different cuisines go, Korean is still kind of waiting to have its big moment. I think that it's really started to creep back into the minds of some people. I mean, again, it, it's a great day, any day of the week when you hear kimchi like trending for some reason. So to see that kimchi was trending on CNN because they thought it would fight COVID-19 was an awesome, <laughs> awesome day. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to lie. I believe kimchi is all, so there you go. Kimchi will do absolutely anything. It's one of my favorite things, and I constantly try to keep it in the fridge because it doesn't matter what I need fixed, it's going to do it. Right, right. Yeah, no. You mentioned kind of your background with the kind of that Southern style. I think that lends itself perfectly 
to Korean food and kind of really complementing a lot of those flavors because there are so many similarities, whether you're talking about some of like the Korean fried chicken or you're talking about some of the barbecue elements. For people that may not be as well-versed with Korean food, what are some of the things that they're kind of missing out on as far as flavors and dishes and kind of dining experiences? Right. So, I mean, I think a lot of times people think you either have to get something based with kimchi or the barbecue. I will say 99.9% of people, once they try like the kalbi or the polgogi, which is one of the two barbecued meats, it's very similar in their eyes to what you would call more of a teriyaki beef mentality. Mm -hmm. So people tend to love that. However, you know, Korean cuisine has so many layers that you know, the reason why I brought out the concept of Anju uh, 10 years ago, and that means food that you have with beer, mm-hmm. that's what you would ask for. It Basically, that means you're asking for a menu and you say Anju, you say, oh, which means you have food. And so the server would bring you out, you know, a menu with your, you know, with your beer or whatever your soju that you're choosing. So um, what I wanted to do was let people know there's so many, like you said, parallels southern american food so we like our barbecue we do have fried chicken we have a lot of sides you know everything's communally based and about like you know socializing together and enjoying with family and friends so for korean food it's like you know everything from like the chapcha for example i don't know anyone who doesn't like the chapcha because you know it's walked off noodles in a really you know mild ginger sauce that we make in house and you know the vegetables aren't overbearing um, compared to the noodles. So that way, you know, you're getting some really nice notes and, you know, who doesn't really like fried rice in some facet, right? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, and, you know, people are like, oh, you guys do pancakes. And yeah, we do savory pancakes. So especially if those um, that are familiar with, let's say, their favorite Chinese restaurant, they can find a lot of things through our menu that could actually be, you know, somewhat, you know, reminiscent of what they would get at their local favorite space uh, spot. But, you know, we also, too, I think everyone thinks, oh, it's always so spicy. But as people will, per, you know, browse the menu, they'll see that, you know, there are some things with a kick in it, but then there's a lot of things that don't have a kick in it. And so I, what I love about Korean food, I really feel there's like something for everyone, even like the vegans. I have a lot of vegan clients who constantly order every week because there's like 40% of that menu has vegan options for them. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, you don't have to necessarily only want to eat beef or fried chicken. And then, you know, of course there's the dumplings and how we started. So it's a nice little, I think in terms of our menu, we've tried to do everything to sort of give a nice narrative of what Korean food is like, aside from what you think are just the barbecue. So we're recording this interview on Monday, the 27th, depending on when you're listening to it as I, I want to say just what Saturday or Sunday, you also announced that now you are going to be able to have that beer option to really kind of complete the experience. Correct. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we collaborated with Gunnel Wales, a Gunnel Ales out of uh, Orange County here and uh, their beer really pairs perfectly with our food, um, whether it's one of their saisons or their IPAs and, I didn't know this, but the founder, Justin, he actually used to be a chef. So he really gets the concept of food paired with beer. And um, he's really able to hand select what goes great with our beer. So now, yeah, all they have to do is meet the regular 50 minimum delivery for food. And if they want to add a couple of those uh, beers onto their list, they can add that into their bag. So that's a really nice added bonus. So we're literally bringing everything but the physical pub to them now. (laughs) 
<clears throat> I absolutely love that. That's awesome. And Gunwell's fantastic. If people aren't familiar with them, definitely, definitely please look and check them out. What is it like running a meal like kit? Dis- like the service and the delivery and all the logistics that have to go into it when you're competing with such monsters, kind of like all those other, you know, meal kit delivery services that are, uh, there's countless names out there and people that do it. But when you're actually delivering yeah. food that's already prepped, already taken care of, all the love is already in there. What do those logistics look like on the back end? <laughs> well, like I said, it's like a blind chef basket um, competition. Like you would watch on something like Chopped mm-hmm. and the farmer's market and our local ranches had a baby. And there you go. Let's go. It's go time. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, for my guys, it keeps them on their toes because they have no idea until they walk in what we're making. Um, now, mind you, I did that back in the days because I really wanted to serve those that wanted to go out and, you know, go to fine dining, et cetera. I think it was also my whole battle personally and mentally with being able to identify myself still as what I would consider, um, you know, a chef. And, you know, little did I know the layers of operating a meal prep service. It was, it was like, okay, there's seasons because it, unlike a restaurant, summer and winter tend to be your highest times or busiest times, right? Because mm-hmm. everyone's out celebrating, sitting outside in the sun. Where with meal delivery, there's a window during late summer where everybody takes off on vacations and they hold their meals. Uh, the holidays, the last two weeks, we shut down. After the first year, we just decided to shut down, give the staff a break, let them enjoy time with their families. Um, because, you know, mo- majority of those clients were off traveling or doing celebrations or eating food that they shouldn't be. And, you know, that's <laughs> normal. That's fine. Yep. But, you know, why are we going to come in the kitchen every day? So, uh that, you know, the delivery definitely was a whole different uh, world for us because, you know, when you're used to a consumer walking up and picking up the food or, if anything, calling in. Um, and I know back in the days when I had Anju, you know, Grubhub and all those guys were literally just starting. Yeah. So that was still such a new format. Um, and so with this, you know, we did try the third-party drivers, all that. We finally just, you know, got it down to a science for the most part. And, you know, now we obviously have the ability to use certain delivery applications and such to help route with our drivers and make it more tech based. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's funny when I get somebody and I see someone in one of the kitchens and they're like, Oh, I'm just starting meal prep. And then you see after a week, they look, because they're like, what did I do? (laughs) Um, and you know, a couple of my chef friends sometimes used to come into the kitchens and see what it was like. And they're like, Whoa, I couldn't do that. You know, and and mind you, there's a lot of meal prep companies out there that I have that have more of the constant menus mm-hmm. um, where I chose to do exactly the opposite and go, OK, let's decide today what we're going to make. Um, now, going forward, we're in the process of retooling Mind Body Fork uh, because I know the one thing people have said, well, wow, that's a, that's a high commitment to make in terms of price per month. And, you know, with a lot of people staying home and cooking from home, but wanting to subsidize their meals. Um, and with the success of Family Meals down here, we are going to actually be retooling the whole program, which should be going live actually somewhere in mid-September. Uh, so that way, everybody could sort of do the same thing with Full Town Supper, see a menu advance, pick some items, and have it delivered to the doorstep. So uh, we're trying to make it more family-friendly, too, uh, mm-hmm. which I feel is a huge thing right now because that's what you're doing. You're staying 24-7 in ho- in-house with your family. So, and with the up and downs of whether the restaurants are open, whether they're not open, um, you know, this seems to be sort of a format that I feel that really is 
you know, the future of dining right now um, and the giving the customer some consistency on what they can expect on a regular basis. So obviously, like you mentioned, there's, you know, between the delivery apps, between the different services, between restaurants trying to just stay afloat and kind of announcing what they're doing as everything changes day to day. How is it? What are some of the difficulties you found in trying to just kind of get your voice heard through the cacophony of everything else, kind of shouting at all those consumers while everybody is sitting at home? How do you target right. new customers? How are you finding new people? So um, believe it or not, we have been over the years primarily just word of mouth. Um, you know, I used to do a lot of high-end catering, so I had a certain clientele back in L.A. that, you know, used to hire me for parties and such. So when I started sending a couple of emails to people and friends that used to order other delivery services, uh, they hopped on board, you know. And it was funny because when I went through my own health battle, I stopped having monthly dinner parties, and I was known for dinner parties. Mm-hmm. So people would come over. So finally, after about, after I got control of, you know, losing about 30 pounds, I thought, okay, I'll let people, I'll let a handful of people come over. So they came over, but I said, but here's the deal. You're not going to see a bunch of junk in the food. It's going to still be delicious, but you're not, don't think you're going to get like twice fried nachos or something from me. (laughs) So they're like, all right, no, 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 I want to keep healthy. So they came over and it was funny because a couple of them were like, well, I'll quit my meal delivery service if I give, if I can give you 60 bucks and you do this for me. So it started out more as a joke and a space for me to just constantly cook for someone other than my boyfriend and myself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, from, from that standpoint, I was like, okay, let's see what can happen. And then I said, well, do you mind telling a couple of friends? And then they told a friend and then I'd need a nutritionist and then I'd need, you know, a wellness doctor. And it just sort of, I guess, organically, no pun intended, happened. Uh, we didn't do a lot of big marketing or promotions or publicity or anything like that, which, you know, that was so different than when I used to launch a business in LA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, you know, what am I going to do? I, I would reach out to some editors. Um, I got a lot of great response from actually a lot of the local media in LA cause they, you know, known me for years. And, uh, they also wondered what happened to me cause I sort of went MIA for a while. Mm-hmm. So when I announced this and some of them have battled their own health, they were like, well, let me try it. And, um, you know, on the other hand, there's the editors are like, well, we know you for the Korean girl and the girl that loves bacon and twice fried chicken and all of that. We just can't see this. Why would you do this? Uh, so that was different, especially when you see the meal plans like Blue Apron and Freshly and all those big guys coming out, right? Yeah. And I'm like, how do I compete with that? But yet we're, we were on at that point on a very different, I think, target market. It was more for customization. The goal was never to have a thousand orders for, you know, a day. It was to have, you know, maybe 30 of the best clients a day who are willing to pay a different price for truly what I considered, you know, chef-crafted artisan-based food. And, you know, at the time, I was like, okay, I know I'm playing like, you know, culinary roulette here, but I do feel there's a market out there. So I did reach out, like I said, to people that I knew back in the days in the business, and people that I thought might, you know, enjoy a meal or two. And I figured, well, if their coworkers see the meal, they're like, hmm, where do I get that from? <laughs> so, um, you know, so far it works. Uh, you know, even like I said, it's, it's a different time and I see it in our kitchens, like meal prep companies, instead of struggling, a lot of them are continuing to work, which is great because Mm -hmm. they're the little guys. They're the guys that are literally the mom and pop that do everything. And 
you know, being at a restaurant, having, you know, your standard place of where people will come in, you can take reservations, you can project, et cetera. It's a whole different mentality of, okay, I'm just going to put this out in the fitness universe and help wellness universe and let's see who's going to order, right? <laughs> um, we did do some sampling through Equinox. You know, I, you know, utilized my relations with my fitness trainers there. I'm not going to lie. Yep. But it was more of that grassroots level, which was really humbling, especially when you came from years of being in a big restaurant or, you know, running a huge line with a huge crew. And it makes you realize like, wow, you know, this is what small business in America is about. And yeah. so, um, you know, it, it was definitely a different experience. And like I said, first year, there were a lot of, you know, things that we learned, especially, like I said, seasonality of the business and learning when to bring things on, you know, hard and when to go home. Um, and it, it's a matter, too, of understanding your market and who you really cater to. Um, mind you, when we relocated down here to Orange County four years ago, um, the first couple of years, I was still trying to get, you know, that proverbial door um, entrance into the Orange County market. And so uh, look, I live here down in Ladera Ranch in South Orange County. The moms and the families have been really great to us. Um, and plus, they love the fact that they have some of those options for them and their family to enjoy. So that being said, you know, we've learned a lot. Um, all my partners have always said, Debbie, you got to, you know, make some options for people to choose. I'm like, no, no, no. The stuff in me is like, no, it's going to be a creative you know, experience. I want them to have this sense of surprise. And, you know, some of them are like, no, not every mom wants to surprise their family. They've got to feed their kids. So I, I, I took upon a lesson from my stepdaughter who really taught me, you know, you, you, I'm not going to eat every single thing, even though I don't care how fancy it is. I just want some basic things that I can identify with. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's an experience. You learn, you grow. Uh, and now during this time and, you know, not knowing when this whole COVID craziness will end, we wanted to make something that was achievable and, you know, available to majority of the community. And, you know, let's face it, everybody is trying to watch their, you know, wallets too, because you just have to save for those times right now. Uh, so we want to be able to not put such a high price mark on a, on a minimum commitment as we used to do back in the days and let people still enjoy some delicious, you know, farm to table food. And so, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I know that you put so much care into the ingredients that you use and the dishes. And like you said, that's kind of the, always that changeability and you like to keep the menu very loose. Uh, and you mentioned how you would rather kind of work with, you know, a very loyal X amount of people than have to worry about constantly having like a new influx of business. Obviously you do want to grow. You do want to keep getting better and being able to take care of your staff. Is there any fear that there's a tipping point somewhere down the line where you'll run the risk of that quality kind of diminishing a little bit because it is too big or growing too quickly? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I got approached by a couple of big meal delivery services, actually, some of the competitors back in the days when I first launched. And they wanted to give me a check to take my concept to them. Yeah. And when I would see what they were about, I'm like, hmm, but that's not me. <laughs> so um, I know a lot of my chef friends told me I was crazy. And what are you thinking? You could just then write your own ticket. But um, you know, my body work is a very personal and still is a very personal thing because it's my constant health battle daily. Mm -hmm. So what I'm putting out on people's, you know, in their dishes and their meals every day is, 
anything that I would personally eat. So if I'm not going to eat it to keep myself healthy, I'm not going to think that someone else is going to. Um, and it also represented, you know, there were times with any business, we had some really hard challenges and, you know, it, it's, it's the wave and the roller coaster of starting your own business. And there were several times where my partners were like, well, maybe we should just, you know, call it a day. And I was just adamant, like, no, no. I mean, people are into this. People believe this. And most importantly, it was something that was so, uh, such about my own journey, right? So yeah. it was a really, and that's too a thing. Like when people judge people when they decide, you know, and I, especially right now, I, I've told people, please don't judge the restaurant that has to shut down or, make a change like there is an unlimited you know of a money branch tree a money tree falling from the branches for everyone and you know it's a very personal decision in why you fight and fight as a chef to keep that concept of food because there's always a story behind it um and like with mind body fork it was the most personal story for me uh because it's something that i think a lot of people can relate to you know and you love food, but you don't want to have to feel that you're limited or cut off or deprived or punished. And you're getting like, you know, a plain chicken breast with some salt and pepper and boiled broccoli. And they call that dinner, you mm-hmm. know. So it, it, it's been one of those things where now that, you know, we go through this and we decided to internally grow as opposed to get outside funding. Uh, you know, we decided, okay, with with the whole mind body for concept. And that's why too COVID has also given me some awareness, like what people need, what people want at the same time, being able to stick to, to what I believe and I, what I want to be able to serve people. Right. Mm-hmm. And my team, cause I have a really creative team of guys that and girls just, I mean, they're in, they're so talented and we all play a part in collectively being able to put these incredible dishes on people's tables. So, you know, Will I, you know, take a check next time? I, I don't know. I mean, it's never been that for me, and I've been sort of that creator, that artist. It doesn't probably make me the most profitable person in the world as a chef, but I feel it makes me true, you know. And and that's sort of what's really important to me. Uh, I want to be able to not cheapen my product at this point. Um, and you know, things could change. We could come up with new ways to ship it. You know, I get emails all the time about, you know, shipping food, but we're just not there yet. You know, it's still sort of a, now a young child in the process. So it hasn't graduated high school yet, but you know, (laughs) anything can change next week could be a different conversation. I know the, the unpredictability of the future right now with everything just being so uncertain and changing constantly is, is a little bit maddening. Um, one of the kind of storylines throughout this entire process for, I would say, the hospitality industry as a whole. And I don't know how much really we're going to talk about it until maybe a little bit later once COVID finally calms down is the aspect of mental health. And it's obviously something that's very important to you, physical health and mental health. And it's something that the industry has been grappling with even before COVID-19 and was really just starting to get its kind of voice heard the past couple of years. As somebody who has worked on the line and you know, gone through the the media ups and downs and now moving on to the, you know, the delivery service, it's still very much hospitality. But as somebody who's not on the line in the kitchen of a restaurant, if you were looking from the outside and kind of into it, are there any changes that we could still be able to make and have restaurants survive? I mean, what are some of those kind of aspects that we're not getting to grapple with right now? Because everybody's just basically trying to keep their head above water. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is support your local businesses. You know, that that's just sort of a given. Um, each order, 
you know, a customer makes into a restaurant gives another hour to an employee that needs it. Um, and it's, there's the money part of it, but then there's also, like you said, the mental health part about it. And anybody that enters the cooking world, especially those that are in the back of the house working the line with me and my guys, you don't do it because of the money, because there isn't tons of money in it until you get to a certain point in your career. You do it because you love to do it and you have a passion to cook and you want to do that each and every day and take care of and serve those to put a smile on their faces. So, you know, what I say on the other side is from the outside looking in, you know, when you see your local restaurant or bakery or cafe coming up with some ideas, support those ideas, you know, let them continue so they can get through this. Uh, I have a lot of friends that, you know, between LA and Orange County, I worry about, you know, I know that they've had some success, but you know, a couple months, two to three months down and losing all of that revenue, that is like your, your profit or your bottom line for the year. You know, the margins are so little in the business. They range anywhere from four to 12% on average. Um, somebody who's lucky may get an 18%, but if you calculate that, that's like your two months of when you're shut down. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, when I have friends like, well, you know, what do you think about me ordering out? Go ahead and order out. You know, you're safe. Uh, but most importantly, keep the staff and the owners safe by continuing to order from them. Um, it's something that we even do down here. You know, um, every week we order from at least two places down here um, and have our own takeout Tuesdays on maybe not every Tuesday and such. But the point is, it's about, you know, supporting your own community too and supporting the business in the industry. And it's amazing because those that I know that are suffering in this industry, the most are getting hit hardest the most. Those are the ones that are also supporting all the other businesses. And it blows my mind away, you know, Mm -hmm. when they need it in return. So, uh, you know, when I tell people order out, I'm not saying it because I don't want them to work for me. It's that, you know, use your other, your other vessels that you have locally. And when you say, Oh, I'm so sad. My local place is shutting down, but understand that if you don't continue to get your neighbors and yourself to order from them on a regular basis, that's where those decisions get made, unfortunately. So, um, you know, it's a tough, you know, tough business. I, I know what these guys are going through right now. You know, I had shut down my catering business years ago, 20 years ago. And, you know, the stigmatism and the mental, you know, uh, trick it does on your head, it almost makes you thinking you should not cook again or you shouldn't use your, you know, your talents. Mm -hmm. And because no matter how you look at it, somebody in the restaurant culinary industry, they're perfectionists by nature, you know. And so by not being able to carry through with something that's their blood, sweat and tears, you know, their life savings, et cetera. That's just heartbreaking. And, um, I really, like I said, every day I pray for my, my colleagues and I hope that, you know, all of us, especially us Southern Californians who love to eat come together and continue to support our local guys. Cause you know, that is, that is the backbone of the American economy. You know, that is the small mom and pop mm-hmm. turns into a bigger guy. But like I said, you know, even though people look at these bigger, you know, chain entities, they're also suffering because you can only imagine what their overhead could be in a week. <laughs> it yeah, could be your income in a year. But uh, yeah, but no, I mean, I'm, I'm all about supporting one another. And, you know, I'm very proud to be in this industry because it really seeing how a lot of these guys are pivoting is showing me, 
it, it just inspires me more and more each day to keep going. So it's a great thing. There's a, uh, there's a conversation that was starting to take place a little bit before this uh, with regards to kind of food preparation, specifically as it, uh, as it relates to school and for kids and things like that. You mentioned that you live in Ladera Ranch. For people that may not be familiar with Ladera Ranch, it's, it's kind of suburban, like small families, lots of kids, great neighborhoods, but it's basically your neighborhoods in about a month when schools, you know, would normally be reopening are going to, at the moment, at least when we're recording this, still be shut down. It's kind of up to the district, et cetera, et cetera. Your neighborhoods are going to be jam packed with kids. Obviously, a lot of families utilize schools to feed their children and things like that. You mentioned that there are definitely some shifts in the market as far as delivering meals. Do you think that there is a future for if children are going to be home, adding some sort of meal delivery specifically just for kids for like a school lunch type of option? Yeah, you know, I think that it's it's going to be the next thing of the future for food because, you know, the kids have to be thought of and they've got to have you know, a avenue, especially those that can't afford a meal. And when they come to school, that meal is their, their daily food. That's their nutrition for the day. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of moms down here that have been donating, you know, um, my stepdaughter's uh, destination, Mazin Group, we donated to the local food bank that would actually help with kids and families that can't get a hot meal on the table right now because of the school shutdowns. So I do think that there will be the company that actually masters in, you know, kids food and bring out, I'm I'm also seeing a couple of places like radish and things like that, that are about kids meal prep, but not everybody can afford that. Right. So Mm -hmm. then, you know, you're going towards the Avenue. And, and like I said, I mean, what I love about living down here is there's such a community of moms that are all about, you know, helping those that can't help themselves. And so for that, I, you know, I'm really looking towards and hoping to see somebody, you know, want something that could literally come through on a regular basis, like a Jose Andre of feeding people, but feeding the kids first mm-hmm. and foremost. Yeah. I know it's a tough thing to deal with, especially single mothers being asked to not only hold jobs and mother, but now be teachers and cooks and full time. And it, it's really, really draining on a lot of people. And I think it's going to be a very interesting conversation coming up. I can't imagine how popular you must be in your neighborhood, because I'm sure that once people hear your <laughs> shit, you must have been getting just hit up left, right, and center during all this. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I sort of didn't, you know, I joined these neighbor pages because I really wanted to get to know my neighbors and get to know people. And I've met some really incredible friends through this whole process of being part of that, you know, Facebook mom community. Um, but I've also seen such, like I said, incredible spirit and humanity. Um, and, you know, Literally, when I posted the first time of, you know, because I don't post all the time every week, you know, with Mind Body Fork about, hey, get a family meal from me or anything like that. I decided to start posting from For Soul Town Supper, right? Because there was a goal to help my crew. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the first post I did, the response was, I mean, I must have gotten 50 comments of moms saying they were going to, you know, where's the site? Let me order, you know. And that was amazing because they don't know me from Adam. They, they just don't know me f- from anyone. And it, to have them want to just for the purpose of supporting my team so my team doesn't worry about having some cash they can eat and live off of monthly, that was a huge statement for me um, to see. And, you know, but I don't think we're the only community. You know, I'm sure, 
you know, there's so many pockets down here. I would say most of all the pockets down here, if they can, they want to help. And, uh, but yeah, you know, they, a lot of moms know me as the lady who does the dumplings <laughs> gets their kimchi and such, and they love it. And a lot of them are transplants from like New York, LA, San Francisco, other places where there's a, a larger size Korean food community. I mean, thank God we have Irvine and Garden Grove and Buena Park, but mm-hmm. it's nothing in comparison if you came from LA or San Francisco or New York city and have 32nd street. So, yeah. um, you know, a lot of them were like, I just moved from so-and-so and oh my God, I'm so excited. So <laughs> it, it's been really heartwarming for me. And, you know, every time we get an order, I'm truly grateful. So um, my team especially is really grateful because it's helped them a lot. And like I said, they don't, they don't cook because of the money they cook because they love to do it. And, you know, I know people think, well, then they don't have to go to work. They can sit and hang out, but they want to actually go in and they want to work and they want to have, you know, um, a purpose. And so everybody that does place an order is helping them with that. And, you know, it's not just the financial, but most importantly, it's the mental part. So I'm eternally grateful to all. Being able to watch communities rally to kind of help their restaurants and and really give people shout outs locally. You know, obviously there's so many restaurants that, choose to or can't afford, you know, things like public relations and social media and stuff like that. So to watch communities rally has really been special and kind of fantastic. The avenue that I want to ask you about is the other side of the coin, which is the media side of it. As someone who does have a lot of personal experience, you know, obviously time with Food Network and things like that, Food TV has come such a long way. And the way that we kind of cover food and restaurants is evolving constantly. Um, You know, at the start of this pandemic, I think, you know, what one magazine in Orange County had just closed since that time. It looks like two others are starting to shutter. So there's only so many people that do talk about it. Um, what does the future of kind of food media for your opinion kind of look like following this? Because it's going to have to adapt and change in ways that it already should have. Obviously, the biggest story that's probably broken from this was the Bon Appetit um, piece with their editor in right. chief leaving, Adam Rappaport. So and there's a lot of shifts that are happening on their own in food. As someone who has that experience, what do you kind of think the future of food media looks like? Right. Well, you know, when I saw the Bon Appetit um, article, it really sort of hit and struck a chord with me, you know, um, as being a, not just a female chef, but an Asian chef, you know, Mm -hmm. I was the first Asian contestant on Food Network Star, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, it sort of was like, the joke was aside from Morimoto myself, it was like, we sort of start, it was like every year you would then see an Asian contestant or two then, and um it was one of those things where I thought to myself, this is finally the time, you know, it's time for all of our voices to be heard, you know? Um, And I think too, just starting with the black lives matter movement, I feel like that had to happen for it, not just to be about, you know, of course, first and foremost, you know, I believe that all black lives matter and that, you know, I'm not for any of what's going on in this horrible world with brutality and such. But also there's another kind of brutality that I think people didn't look on. And, you know, I'm grateful for that article releasing about Bon Appetit because there's that whole other work side Mm -hmm. of brutality that everyone has suffered. And, you know, I talked with some of my Asian American friends thinking, you know, this is something that we encounter. And, you know, I share with my African American friends in the industry and whether you're female or not, it's the constant struggle, right? Yeah. So I think now that, thank God for the social media platform, because, you know, you wouldn't be able to have your voices 
heard as loud as they can now, right? Mm-hmm. So um, when I first started, Twitter had just evolved. <laughs> God, I'm dating myself. But 10 years later, uh, the difference in how, you know, basically protecting people's rights in the workplace and giving them those opportunities, this is the time, you know? This is the time to make that change and make that difference. And I do feel that there's the pressure on whether it's the network, the, you know, the media, et cetera, to be part of that. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't change everybody's mind. And mind you, you know, my parents came from when they landed here in America from, from Korea after the war, they landed in Jackson, Mississippi. My parents were pre-civil rights movement. So they sat only on one bus in the middle of the bus because they were afraid to either get arrested or get beaten up, et cetera, yeah. you know, because they didn't fit in one color or another. So now seeing this finally, and also, like I said, being in this industry for almost 30 years, it makes me think, wow, (laughs) it took 30 years to get to this. Um, It's a bittersweet moment, but I think it's an important moment for all of us. I think it's, it's time for all of us to raise our voices and, you know, root for everybody, um, you know, race, gender, et cetera, should not matter. It should matter about your ability and your skill set and what you can do. Um, not because, you know, you think that perhaps this person might be a better bet for an advertiser to invest in, you know, for something. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's unfortunately had to come through this, but I'm glad it did because I think now it's going to give a lot of those, um, myself included, a chance to truly be constantly heard. And I think the media, thank God, is very sensitive to that because I think especially in the food world, the food media tends to be, for the most part, a very, what I considered, um, you know, a, a, like, sort of a nice combination of all different ethnicities and personalities, lifestyles, et cetera. And that's important because that all tells the story when it comes to food and sharing. And, you know, I want to see that continue, you know, especially for the next generation of chefs. Yeah. And not to be, not to be basically, you know, disheartened because you think the odds are against you. You know, um, I'm one of those odds that showed that, you know what, I fought through and through. I'm definitely a tough cookie in the kitchen, but (laughs) it, you know, I, you know, I came from my first job, real job was Roland Paso at La Folie giving me a chance when I was up against two other guys. And yes, they happened to be two white guys that cooked faster than me, it was chopped faster than me. Um, had a little bit more experience than me, but you know, Roland saw something in me and thank God for those Rolands, you know, yeah. and hopefully those Rolands will continue and continue and be able to help continue to preserve and, you know, really embrace what, you know, American food is really about. It's a hot pot of all melting cultures. So, um, you know, I, I really think, you know, media has been good about helping people and really promoting that, especially if they're in the food industry, because I don't think you can just stick to one kind of cuisine and be a food editor. You got to like all food, right? So um, I think they have for the most part, the most open minds when it comes to editorial and such. So I'm grateful for that. Good. That's glad. I'm glad to hear that. There's so much going on. There's so many different kind of avenues and, and stressful things and obviously turn on the news and immediately want to turn it off. What are some other, apart from your own cooking and as wonderful as it all is, what are some of the other places around Southern California that you really kind of enjoy and get to kind of decompress with? (laughs) Well, um, I love going to North San Diego County. It's one of my little pockets. Um, You know, of course, uh, my better half, he's a big uh, beer connoisseur. So the first year we met, uh, we used to go to the Stone Fest. 
Um, mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and now I'm a big, I'm more of a sour, you know, kind of gal. Uh, I'm not big on the, you know, hazy IPAs, but that being said, I'll still try it. Uh, and then, of course, became designated driver for the rest of the crew. <laughs> <laughs> so, Skinny is a great pocket because I love visiting all the, you know, new breweries that cop- keep popping up. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with going and visiting Stone and having some of their beer battered onion rings. I'm not going to lie, that's probably some of the best onion rings I've yet to have. They're really good. Um, yeah. They're so good, yeah. I mean, that's the one thing I used to look forward to the festival. I said, okay, then I can get my onion rings because you guys are all. <laughs> be having too much beer and we'll remember how much I am. Um, love Santa Barbara, you know. Um, of course, L.A., I've been there for years. So L.A. is sort of like our staycation where we'll go and see the new food finds and pop up and support some of our other restaurants that we've known and loved mm-hmm. and check out the museums and such. So um, I'm a big SoCal, you know, fan all in all. And, you know, every once in a while, if it's not too hot, I love going out to the desert too just to get away. But um, and there's some really cool food, too, out in the desert from some old mom and pop shop places. So uh, some of those guys are still around. Thank God. Um, I haven't been recently, but, you know, a lot of them have still stayed. So everything I think is in terms of Southern California, I think we're some of the most diversified in terms of food and wine and culture and such. So, uh, you know, aside from that, the only place we tend to visit a lot in California is going to the Central Coast for our little annual wine trip. But yeah, um, yeah but yeah. You know, San Diego is 45 minutes from here. I know. <laughs> it's a hard, hard to pass off. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, Chef, I am so happy that things sound like they're going busy for you. Obviously, keeping the team afloat. Uh, how was the response? I mean, now that what you said, you're how many weeks into Soul Town Supper? I want to say it's been eight weeks. I have to, we're on our eighth or ninth week. I'll have to double check that. I haven't been keeping track because I've been too busy making kimchi every week. So <laughs> the response that I've heard has been nothing but fantastic. So I hope that the numbers are reflecting that too, and you're able to be taking care of your people with it. But it's, I love it. It was one of the happiest things that I saw kind of pop out Aww. of quarantine when everybody was starting to shift. And again, the, the word of the year is pivot right now. So when everybody was starting right. to do that, it was one of the happier things that I saw come out. So. Yeah, no, thank you. And I mean, to everybody that has supported us, I'm, I'm really, truly grateful. And it's making such a difference. And like I said, um, most important, the mental health of my guys comes first. So I want to keep them mentally uh, there and I want to keep them physically busy. And it's good for all because then you get a little goodie of some Korean fried chicken or something, something in your bag. So how can you complain? <laughs> I, you literally can't. I, you shouldn't. <laughs> Uh, before I let you go, if people want to find the menus, if they want to be able to order, or if they just want to be able to follow you on social media, where can they do all those things? Um, so they can follow us on Soul Town Supper is our new Instagram handle. Uh, we still do have Mind Body Fork, and all the links to order are through currently our Mind Body Fork website because it serves as a pop up. But if they go to um, mindbodyfork.com, they can click on the link on the front. If you go to Soul Town Supper, you can click on the link on the front. Um, and yeah, if they can follow us on IG, um, on Soul Town Supper, they'll know every detail of different little goodies popping up on the weekly menu. I try to keep 75% of it for the most, most part of mainstay, but then I like to have a little fun with it. So 25% of it's going to revolve each time, each week. Well, I love it. I'm a huge fan. And I think anybody <laughs> else should be a fan too. It's really good. And look, everybody's drinking beer right now during these times anyway. You might be drinking a beer while you're listening to this at home right now. It's a pandemic. There's nothing better to do. I- 
So I thought about it, but I'm like, it's a little too early. Maybe maybe do a post here. <laughs> we'll wait till the later one. I know it's like it's only Monday or Friday. It could still be March. No one knows. <laughs> what day is it today? Anyway. <laughs> Well, Chef, thank you so, so much for the time. I am super, super appreciative of it. I hope absolutely everything just goes, keeps going your way and just keeps growing and people keep ordering and keeping everybody happy. Uh, you are welcome. And thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's been an honor. It's my pleasure. All right, Chef, thank you. please enjoy the rest of your day and I will chat with you soon. Likewise. All right, take take care. care. Bye. If you're like me during a quarantine, you probably got pretty familiar with your food service delivery drivers. But third-party companies can put a big financial strain on restaurants that are already taking a hit under a pandemic. That's why I was excited to learn about what Chef Debbie Lee is doing with her pop-up, Soul Town Supper. When you put in any type of order at $50 or more over at mindbodyfork.com, you can get free delivery of any of her amazing Korean pub grub. It's fantastic food that'll keep your heart happy while sitting at home. Using the discount code BESTSEATS10, that's B-E-S-T, C-E-A-T-S, and the number 10, you can get 10% off your first order. Orders have to be submitted by Wednesdays at 5 p.m., and the delivery will be at your doorstep when you wake up Friday morning. As Chef Deb will pack everything with insulated bags, reheating instructions, and more, and drop it on your doorstep between midnight and 6 a.m. So you can start your weekend right with delicious Korean pub fare. I've had it. I love it. I support it. You can go to mindbodyfork.com to learn more information and place an order for yourself. Again, using the discount code BESTSEATS10. Enjoy. Thank you so much to Chef Debbie Lee for coming on the show, sharing some insight, the honesty, the knowledge, dropping some hot takes on Korean food, all the things that are going on, what it's like to run a business during these times. I am so humbled that she took the time to come on this podcast. I'm so grateful to you for listening. Um, If you enjoyed it, please, again, do leave those ratings and reviews wherever you are listening to it. It helps other users find it as well. And if you're enjoying it, hopefully you want other users to find it because it just means more tasty tidbits of news for you. Um, I really hope that you got something from this episode. I'm such a huge fan of what Chef Lee is doing. Um, I'm completely biased and I really love Korean food. It makes me super happy. She has some really, really good dishes. And the fact that they're ever changing means that definitely don't just look at one menu and think, ooh, maybe that's not for me. No, keep checking, keep getting menus, keep doing some orders, use that discount code if you feel like it. If not, I don't know why you wouldn't, but go ahead and don't do that. Um, It's really, really delicious stuff. I'm so grateful for everything that she talks about in this interview. Um, This was a really, really fun one. So I'm, I just can't thank her enough and, and kind of gush about the work that she does. Um, these are some dire times, unfortunately, while some businesses are doing okay, uh, like Soul Town Supper and some of her stuff. Obviously, restaurants are hurting. The longer that these episodes kind of go that were launched during coronavirus, the more realistic it becomes that a lot of restaurants are closing. Unfortunately, uh, just the other day after recording this, we lost another big one in broken uh, Spanish up in L.A., massive massive loss for the community and unfortunately it's just going to get worse out there so please reach out to your local representatives pass some sort of congressional help for restaurants because it's not just the brick and mortars that trickle down effect could affect businesses like chef lee's as well um, and some of the other people that we've talked to in past episodes so i don't mean to end on a dire note but unfortunately there is a dire realization that we all have to come to in that restaurants and everybody in the hospitality industry needs our help. So I hope you will reach out and do what you can. Thank you to Chef Lee again. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I will see all of you 
very soon. The Best Seats podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash thebestseats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Here are the supporters. Alex Cook, Katie Cassie, Eric Lutz, Serena Warino, Talia Samuels, Cheryl McCarthy. Thank you for your support.